Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have an episode. I say this about a lot of episodes, but this one I'm super excited about. On the other side of the mic, we have the chief legal officer at Coinbase, Paul Graywall, and we're going to be diving into the recent and ongoing, really, regulatory crackdown on crypto. It's been top of mind for me. I've been tweeting about it ad nauseum, and really, Paul is sort of in the thick of I got in trouble by someone on Twitter for describing it as a as a sort of warpath from the regulators. But before we get into all those granularities, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high-integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Once again, I want to thank Paul for joining us on the show, sir. I'm sure you've been very busy the last few days and weeks. How's it going? Hey, thanks, Frank. And uh, just want to say I'm a huge fan of the show. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. It's going well, all things considered, but uh, this is certainly not a quiet time in crypto and certainly not a quiet time for those of us working on crypto regulation. So maybe if we could just set the foundation here for a second about what's exactly happening. Kind of seems to have kicked off, at least in earnest, with the Kraken news, right? and the SEC coming after them for their staking product. You guys then came out and said, we're certain that our staking product is not a security or violating any sort of you know, regulations as they exist today on the book. And then we have more recently heard about, um, there's been a lot of different murmurings about um, you know, Wells notices and different DOJ actions against a potential one of uh, potentially against your competitor Binance and and then banking is also top of mind. So a lot of stuff is happening, but let's start with let's start with the staking uh, situation. 
I watched Chair Gensler's uh, video, and aside from the aside from the the silly steak joke that was in there, I, I did I did see his point. So let's maybe start the show with playing a bit of devil's advocate. Sure, it, it, it's it's not unfair, or unreasonable to think that hey, like if you are a uh, centralized exchange that provides staking services, it's not unreasonable that uh, there should be disclosures that would inform an investor about where his money's going and, and whether or not Kraken or any other exchange is kicking back the requisite amount of tokens. Like that makes sense. And we've talked about this on the show the past few episodes. Um, I think you probably agree with that, but where do they veer out of what's reasonable in, in your opinion? Well, I'll say a couple things, Frank. I'm not sure exactly when uh, the wave kicked off, but you're certainly right that it has crested um, with the announcement um, in, in the last few days about Kraken and its and its staking products. And I also agree with you that uh, disclosures uh, about how assets are um, held are important. We think it, disclosures about how fees uh, and rewards are calculated are just as important. The issue though is whether or not these products uh, uh, are in fact securities and whether those disclosures that are entirely reasonable ought to be set uh, by the meets and bounds of the securities laws when at least in our case, we're not talking about a securities product. So our issue is not with the idea of transparency or making clear to customers how these products work and um, how they're going to be paid in, in certain instances. Our issue is with whether or not the rule of law can just be ignored entirely because of certain policy priorities. So why exactly does the SEC, based on everything that's out there and what we can review, view Kraken's offering as a security? Is it is it the yield? Is it the promise of of a return? And why might they be um, out of line there? Well, there certainly is, I think, uh, a, a view of the world that um, to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And I think that may explain part of this. Um, now, beyond that, the reality is that the, 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 the Kraken product works in some pretty um, different ways from the way Coinbase's products work and others work um, in, in, that matter. And those differences do matter, I think, for the app proper application of the securities laws. Just to, just to give you a couple of examples of that, Frank, which I think are important. Um, you know, the Kraken product fundamentally was a yield product. Um, and the way that the Coinbase staking product works is very different from those types of yield products. For example, the fees um, that uh, uh, our customers are able to earn uh, are, are tethered to realities. These are determined by, the, in the first instance, the network protocol um, and the math that calculates um, what, what fees may be uh, appropriately uh, authorized and, and given to, to our customers. There are commissions, of course, that we take for the, for the technology and service that we provide, but we disclose those in our help centers. Um, the other thing I think that's very, very different about how the Coinbase product works is our customers at all times have a right to their returns. We, we can't just decide, for example, to pay a discounted um, return or no return at all. Um, there's no right we have to do that. And we think that matters in terms of understanding the financial relationship between uh, our company and the customer. 
And of course, separate and apart from all that, you've got a very different um, view when it comes to Coinbase into our financials and our ability to make good on our commitments. Um, as you well know, Frank, we are a publicly listed company. We file quarterly public audited financial statements and disclosures, um, and our customers have full access to that. So we think there are a number of reasons why uh, the products and services work very differently. I'll just, I'll just offer one further point, which is that at, at its root with, with Coinbase staking, the customer assets always remain their assets. They hold the title. The title never passes to Coinbase or anybody else. They always re retain ownership in a way that we think sets up a very different relationship between the customer and the business. And those differences ought to matter when, when, when you're talking about the application of the law. Do those differences you think matter to the regulators as you delineated them? Uh, have they expressed concern about the way in which Coinbase's staking program operates? Or do you feel that they maybe appreciate the differences as you outline them? Well, I always hope for the best and prepare for the worst, Frank. That's sort of the nature of my job as the chief legal officer over here at Coinbase. I do think that ultimately um, these differences will matter. Um, there's no question about it that um, uh, uh, if one looks to how uh, the securities laws apply, um, the, the differences I've outlined and many others are going to impact how a court would certainly look at all this. Um, whether or not uh, the SEC or any other regulator chooses to um, recognize that um, and defer to uh, you know, what the law makes clear, of course, is, is, is in their control, not ours. But I'm always an optimist, Frank. I'm always an optimist that um, through conversation and dialogue, we can get to the right result, which is what we've been trying to do. One thing that I forgot to mention at the top of the show, of course, a big headline that, uh, I mean, in crypto time moves so time moves so fast. I think it was this week or perhaps last week, we saw the news that the SEC basically forced Paxos to stop issuing BUSD. Something that I've heard for a while, maybe over a year, is that it is the SEC's view, or at least Gensler's view, that these stable coins are, are securities in as much as they are money market funds that don't kick back the interest to the end user. And we had we had Rob Leshner on the show yesterday, and what he mentioned was if the SEC has that view and sort of cracks down on, on stablecoin, it could be Armageddon for crypto. I mean, stablecoin is such a core component of our capital markets. What is your view? If, if, if that were to sort of escalate to a point where they take on this view that maybe there's some form of some form of a security, how would you argue against that? Well, when it comes to USD-backed uh, stable coins, I don't think, frankly, there is much of an argument that somehow uh, they qualify as securities, right? You look to the standard tests that the Supreme Court has laid out. Um, you've talked about them on, on previous shows. Um, and you know, at its root, the question, of course, comes down to the reasonable expectations that people have when they, when they, uh, when they purchase staple coins uh, or acquire them um, in, in, the, in the managerial efforts of others and whether or not there's a profit being driven by that um, effort by others. We don't think that's the case uh, with USD-backed stable coins for, for the obvious reason that um, when you purchase a dollar's worth of USDC or, or PAX or any other 
USD backed stable coin, you, you, your stable coins are backed by a dollar. And when you redeem them, you get a dollar back. Now, there may be other products and services that interact with stable coins that may give rise to more serious concerns under the securities laws, but there's no real credible argument that these USD backed stable coins themselves are securities. Whether or not it would be Armageddon or an apocalypse or, or anything else, if uh, the regulator were, were to press forward with that more expansive view, I, I can't say. I certainly agree with you, Frank, that stable coins matter to crypto and they matter to the real people who use crypto. Um, they are obviously meeting an important market need. Um, they are obviously an important way for people um, to dollarize their participation in the, in, in the crypto economy. It's kind of ironic, Frank, you would normally think that a government that was extremely um, vested and, and interested in preserving the dollar's preeminent role in our financial system would, would seem to take such a dim or hostile view towards dollar-backed stablecoins. But uh, that's where we are, and uh, that's why we're going to continue to make the argument that hopefully we'll uh, clear this cloud from an important part of the crypto economy. I guess there's a bit of merit, though, um, as it pertains to BUSD specifically. This is the big question that everyone had, and I was pinging people across the, the Twitterverse about why specifically BUSD and not Pax Dollar or anyone else. And it seems like it has to do with the fact that uh, there was a bit of a synthetic relationship between um, BUSD and BSC, as it were. And so maybe that's sort of the the crux there of why they'd be set out. It may be. You know, Frank, the other issue, of course, is it's not just the SEC that has weighed in on that particular stable coin. The New York DFS itself um, and separately um, has uh, uh, come out very strong uh, um, in, in addressing those issues. And of course, their focus is not on the securities laws per se. Their focus is on the diligence and the backgrounding um, that Paxos right. conducted. So um, keeping those issues straight sometimes is hard, but I think sometimes uh, it's easy to conflate the two and, and they, they, they very much raise and address different concerns. No one wants to get a Wells notice though. It's not no, fun. That's the one thing we can all agree on. <laughs> we can all agree. <laughs> what happens in that process? So you get a Wells notice and yeah. then you have to respond. What's that process like? Well, it's interesting. Um, uh, with a Wells notice, um, what the SEC effectively is saying to a, a, an individual or, or, or a company is that we have reason to believe that you uh, may have violated the securities laws and that we um, are intending to proceed with charges. However, we want to hear from you and we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the concerns that are motivating um, our, 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 our investigation before we pull that final trigger. There's no obligation to respond to a Wells notice. It's, it's, it's an opportunity. It's not a requirement. But in most, most cases, Frank, as a practical matter, it's the final throwing down of the glove. It's the signal from the commission that it intends to proceed. And so it's a very serious, um, it's a very serious event in any individual or, or company's life. It's one reason why you see companies uh, disclose Wells notices um, as part of their regulatory filings. I mean, it's also why you've seen, I think, over crypto Twitter and elsewhere, so much attention paid to um, rumors or just rank speculation that one company or another may have received a Wells notice. 
in, in, in the past, um, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours or whatever. Now, let's say in a universe in which the SEC sends UOL's notice for Coinbase's staking program, which full disclosure I've used. What happens then next? I, I, I've, I've seen based on the tweets of Mr. Brian Armstrong, as well as my own sourcing, that you guys are prepared to fight pretty hard on this one. We would be. What would, yeah, would be. walk I, me through that. Yeah, well, it's it's hypothetical because at this point I have received, we have received no Wells notice on our staking product. But I think um, a couple things would happen. One, in, in, in a more general sense, right? In general, um, um, and speaking for Coinbase, we believe in engagement and conversation with the SEC. That's why in some very uh, you know, public ways, uh, we have uh, gone out of our way to try to talk to the SEC and explain why our products and services um, don't raise the concerns that they are claiming, uh, even where we've received little or no response um, you know, you know, to, that, to, to those statements. Um, if though a Wells notice um, is issued to any company and the company is not able to persuade um, the uh, attorneys at the SEC that a, that a case is um, not justified or not warranted, what would normally happen at that point would be that a uh, proposal to bring a case would be brought to the full commission. A majority of the commissioners would have to vote to approve. And at that point, a complaint would be filed in federal district court. Got it. Well, hopefully it doesn't go that far. Um, okay, let's talk about the other topic du jour, which is, which is banking. It, yeah. You know, there's obviously a lot of scuttlebutt and a lot of rumors out there. But from what I hear, firms across crypto are scrambling to bank offshore. And it seems that there's a, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I think some people would interpret the situation as the regulators here in the U.S. to a certain extent wanting to remove a lot of the on-ramps um, that crypto firms have in the wake of FTX which you know, some folks on certain sides might view as reasonable, others might see it as uh, moving innovation offshore. Is there? Do you have a sense of, of this situation and what are your thoughts? Well, there's no question that um, there, there, there is, I think, a concerted effort to increase pressure from a number of different directions on the different cryptocurrency exchanges and others in the crypto economy right now. Um, there is the full frontal <laughs> assault in some cases where companies have received Wells notices or perhaps even been sued in federal district court. There's also the um, threat of those types of Wells notices. And often those threats alone can push companies to settle or resolve where they don't feel like they have the resources or, or, or the ability to withstand you know, years of litigation, even if they fundamentally disagree with the claims. And then a third approach or a third tactic, right, is what I refer to as shadow regulation. And this is, this is regulation not by enforcement, uh, although we've seen a lot of that. It's, 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 it's not regulation by threat of enforcement. It's regulation by pressure brought to bear on, yes, the banking partners and others who service uh, cryptocurrency exchanges and uh, encouragement that they clamp down or tighten um, the, the access of these companies to, to basic um, business services or, or, or restricted altogether. 
And so, you know, as a practical matter, that third type of, of regulation um, can, can be as uh, effective or, or damaging, depending on your point of view, as either of the first two. Um, it's an important issue uh, for the industry. It's, it's yet another example of why, you know, we've been pushing so hard for a public transparent uh, rulemaking process to address whatever concerns the commission or others have. Um, and we've done that now for many months, going back to when we filed a formal petition, Frank, back in July. Um, to date, we've heard nothing in response to that formal petition. Uh, we've commented further and we received no response uh, once again to those comments. And so it's, uh, it seems as if, um, at least at the moment, rather than engaging in a transparent public process that you would think would balance the interests of, of everyone concerned, um, lead to rules that, you know, Coinbase might like in some instances, but not like in others, but it'll put strike the right balance overall. It seems like instead of that approach, what we've got instead is a lean on the partners and others who are providing essential services and create pressure uh, in a very different way. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's fine. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. Going back to sort of just the intersection of the SEC regulation and staking, I feel like a lot of the, and it doesn't necessarily just have to do with staking. Anytime there's any sort of Whatever the S word, as it were, crops up in crypto, we immediately think of the H phrase, which is the Howey test. 
Uh, and a lot of the conversation around staking products is centered around whether or not it, it satisfies that those criteria, as it were. But I guess you could also argue that there are other sort of debt instruments that are classified as securities and many that would be regulated as securities for the because of the fact that they're, you know, already regulated as banking products, right? So I guess there's a question there that could be asked, which is, are you concerned that by opposing the classification of staking products as securities that you're maybe opening yourself up to um, being regulated under a more stringent um, banking regulatory framework? Yeah, I think it's important, Frank, to, um, uh, to focus on an important difference between Coinbase and a lot of other companies. We're not saying we don't want to be regulated. We're just saying that that regulation ought to occur under the rule of law. That is, in, in, a, you know, in, in a manner that's consistent with what Congress wrote when it wrote the statutes and how the courts have interpreted those statutes now going on 70 or 80 years. Um, the fact of the matter is that there are crypto projects that are securities, period, end stop. And that's the reason why Coinbase doesn't list them or list the tokens on its exchange, because we don't list securities on our exchange. Um, and so, you know, for a company like Coinbase or any other um, to be to be uh, encouraged to come in and register um and for there to be no distinction drawn between the products that are securities and the products that aren't is effectively saying that we would have to agree that the rule of law doesn't matter and that even though Congress limited the SEC's jurisdiction to securities and securities alone, we should come in and register anyway. Um, that's just not how the law is supposed to work, especially when you've got other regulators that are fully regulating those products. Um, and all of these are points that we, you know, we tried to make as clearly as we could in our petition and statements since then. Unfortunately, it just seems as if um, these statements have fallen on deaf ears. Paul, do you think that the SEC would be keen to have Coinbase register as a national securities exchange? And 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 could you do that? Would, would that, you have the, the, the wherewithal to do that? Well, the, the, the commission may, may prefer that approach. Um, and Again, we have been very clear that um, if uh, a registration scheme were promulgated pursuant to a proper notice and comment rulemaking process that was open to everyone and wasn't done in a one-off manner, um, that was transparent, um, and that imposed standards that were applied equally across the board to every other uh, company or, or, or entity in the, in, the, in, the, in the crypto economy, um, that's a conversation worth having. But the way things stand right now, Frank, is that we're, we're told to simply um, go to the website, download the form and register when there's no conceivable way to do that. Um, the reality is that there's no single form that would cover the products and services that, 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 that we provide and that we've talked about. It's like, Frank, you know, being told to um, take your fighter jet and go register it down at the DMV. It just doesn't make sense. You are, yeah, or taking or taking your Toyota Corolla and having it FAA certified. Yeah, it's probably just as true in the reverse, right? So, you know, look, we have uh, two dormant broker dealers at Coinbase, so we're registered. It's just we can't use them because you, you need to have products and services available that make sense for 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 that type of entity or structure. There's a way to do this, 
Um, we've laid out 50 or more questions in our in our petition for rulemaking that we think um, shed light on uh, a, a path to get to a, a, a scheme for registration in, 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 in our case and many others. But what you can't simply do is, is, is say, just download the form and come in when we all know there's no way to do that. And so it's not just Coinbase that would have to fill out the forms, though. It would also be the various projects. And if you think of something like Ethereum, yeah, which um, who's filling that out? Is it the Ethereum Foundation? Is it Vitalik? Is it the largest? You know, there's not really a clear, uh, it's not apples to apples necessarily. It's not. It's not, Frank. And um, of course, um, the group that may fill that out um, at the beginning of a project might change um, dramatically over the life of that project. And of course, you know, filings and submissions have to be kept up to date. And you, you, you point to Ethereum uh, and, and rightly offer a, a few ideas, uh, even as I think you know, you're highlighting at the same time some issues. Think of all of the other projects, though, Frank, that um, are, are just getting started. Um, they may be self-funded. They may be getting their first round of funding. Um, these registrations are not, uh, are, are, not, are not cheap. They're not easy. They require lots of lawyers. They require lots of accountants. And many, many projects uh, that would like to comply with the law, would like to register, just simply don't have the means to be able to do so. And I, I share this perspective, Frank, as someone who um, um, has gone through the SEC registration process because, of course, Coinbase back in April of 2021 uh, listed um, uh, with the approval of the SEC as a public company. And so I know what it takes to complete an S-1. I've seen the army of lawyers and accountants that need to be brought to bear um, in order to uh, meet the commission's expectations. It's simply not practical for the vast majority of projects, which means even if you could get an exchange registered as currently structured, um, the reality is very few assets could afford to list. Yeah, that makes sense. One other thing that Gensler has talked about is he said he has said that crypto exchanges are also broadly in violation of current custody rules. Has the SEC communicated anything about that to you? Well, we actually looked at yesterday's announcement from the SEC proposing new rules for custody as actually slightly more positive. And the reason for that is you know, Coinbase has had a qualified custodian um, uh, in the form of our New York Chartered Trust Company uh, for some time. We were a qualified custodian yesterday uh, at the time of the announcement. Uh, we're a qualified custodian today. We're going to be a qualified custodian tomorrow. And so uh, the recognition that state chartered trust companies could serve as qualified custodians, we think, is actually quite positive. You know, the other thing that was quite positive about the announcement yesterday, Frank, was that the SEC made the announcement and proposed its new rule according to the law, according to the rulemaking process that we've been calling for on all of the issues that uh, uh, confront uh, the commission and, and the industry. And so in some ways, it, it, it's an acknowledgement on the commission's part that it knows full well how to use uh, notice and comment rulemaking in order to uh, promulgate new standards where it sees fit. Um, there are certainly going to be issues that are going to have to be worked out for plenty of other um, uh, uh, companies that offer custodial services that may not have um, a state or federal charter. Um, that That's going to be an issue, I think, um, that's going to have to be resolved over time. 
But overall, we actually viewed yesterday's announcement as positive, given that it, it, was a, it was a formal recognition in many ways that the approach we took a long time ago was the correct one. Yeah. And I guess he said, yeah, I'm just looking just for, you know, folks who haven't seen that. He, he effectively said how, how these exchanges are generally modeled, not talking about Coinbase specifically, they don't meet the qualified custodian standards of the current rule, but yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, this has always been something that's been a fairly confusing, um, you know, what's, what's the old joke? Um, you know, if you ask three people what a qualified custodian is, you'll get, you know, 15 different answers. I like to say, Frank, that if you ask two lawyers about um, you know, what a qualified custodian you're going to get 17 answers. But, you know, that's that, that's, that's that's my world talking there, <laughs> the world of rabbis and others. Yeah. Um, why do you think the SEC is is acting now? I, I hear some people who make the conjecture that it's in the wake of, of FTX. I hear others who make the conjecture that this has been a long time coming from Chair Kensler. It's something that my colleague... Uh, Colin Wilhelm mentioned to me uh, that 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 the sort of underpinning and the foundation of this has a longer story that goes be- before uh, FTX. Yeah, look, I, I think Frank that there's no question that FTX changed the the the, the calculus here for everyone and especially regulators. And I think that um, a lot of what we've seen in the last few months reflects just um, uh, a feeling that um, the the disaster that was FTX um, happened on certain people's watch, and there's a need there's a need to to take action um, to make sure that that doesn't happen again. In the abstract, I don't have a problem with that because, frankly, um, I think that FTX was a stain on the entire industry and a stain that needs to be addressed. I do think, though, that um, this broader um, campaign does go back um, even earlier than FTX and, and perhaps much earlier than FTX. And what we're seeing now is a sort of culmination or coming together of a lot of skepticism and hostilities and antagonisms that um, predate FTX for sure. Um, look, with, with all that said, though, I, I remain a long-term optimist. I mean, the American public has made clear it wants access to crypto and digital assets, you know. The stats suggest that something like one in five Americans have used crypto at this point, which is a remarkable fact. And so, you know, I think I think it's important that we as a country decide, are we going to are we going to satisfy that demand uh, and meet those expectations with safe, regulated products that are overseen by our um, regulators here in the United States? Or are we going to send send that demand uh, outside this country? to places that may not have the same standards and may not offer the same protections. And at the same time, push up innovation offshore at a time when we should be thinking about how we keep and encourage and nurture innovation here in this country. I I would hate to see us make the same mistakes with crypto that we made with semiconductors 30 years ago. And and, 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 and in three or more decades, find ourselves having to spend billions and billions of dollars to bring back another industry that we had all to ourselves uh, just just a few years before. Is there a specific jurisdiction that you think stands to benefit the most? I can't say which jurisdiction is is in the poll position, but what I can say is that if you look at the UK, for example, 
if you look across Asia and, and in Singapore in particular, if you look all over the world, you're seeing jurisdictions by and large um, say uh, to the digital economy and, 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 and to crypto, we want you here. We want you strictly regulated. We want tough rules in place to make sure that our citizens are protected, but we want to be part of that future. And so in a lot of ways, the United States feels, at least at this, at this point in time, like it's bucking a global trend in a way that is, is, is only hurting Americans. Um, I think that's a big mistake, um, not only because uh, of what it means for American consumers and investors, but also for American security interests. Um, I think it's important that we, we, we do everything we can to encourage um, innovation, even as we try to keep investors and consumers protected. I don't think that's a controversial position. At least it shouldn't be. What do you think are um, the national security implications of sending crypto innovation offshore? Well, first and foremost, um, there, there is there there is the fact that um, this technology is just getting started, and so um, I think there is a strong national interest in having um, engineering talent and other technical talent here in the United States building these products and services. Um, not only for for the products and services themselves, but for what it means for our country's industrial infrastructure and capacity. I think that's important. I think it's also important that um, crypto continue to flourish in a country like the United States, where the rule of law has historically mattered, where there are limits on um, government overreach, while there are where there are strong protections for consumers and individual rights. Um, you know, it's 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 it, it used to be a, a non-controversial position here in this country that we wanted to see um, innovations that we largely developed, you know, flourish here. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like um, we, we've lost that perspective in, in some measure more recently. And when it comes to crypto, I, I think we are we are at risk of seeing these other countries like the UK, like Singapore, uh, uh, gladly pick up the mantle that we've dropped on the ground. In your visits to Washington, I feel like people in our space at least view it as a um, you know one sort of entity, one sort of beast. But each section uh, perhaps has a it's not a monolith, right? Each section has their own view, and I think you can delineate it as such. Where we could say the legislative group is maybe split fifty fifty. National defense, I think, has a very positive view on the space because they get that you can track this. And it's very easy to uh, suss out nefarious behavior on chain. Um, and then, of course, the regulators, that they, 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 at least with the SEC in particular, maybe not the CFTC so much, has a more um, a less positive view, perhaps. I think you're right, Frank, that there are very different opinions, depending on what part of the government you're talking to. You know, Frank, when I when I speak with legislators, um, one of the things I'm struck by is that, um, first and foremost, this issue largely remains a nonpartisan or bipartisan issue. Um, there are certainly individuals um, in, in both parties that have strong feelings, either pro or anti-crypto. But if you actually map um, who some of the strongest voices for crypto are, um, and, per, and to be fair, some of our some of our harshest critics, it maps um, pretty interestingly and evenly across the political divide. 
there aren't many issues in the United States today where you can say that. I think that that's absolutely striking. As for the national security and the, and the law enforcement community, I, I, I completely agree with you that um, by and large, they see um, the, the responsible crypto actors as important partners um, because of um, the nature of the technology and you know, the, the industry's now years long history of, of, of providing um, of training, support and insights into how blockchains can be used to trace um, frauds and scams and, and all the rest. I think that's 100 percent true. One, uh, the regulators, you're right, Frank, like they stand in a different place by and large. Um, but of course, they have a different responsibility. One of the other um, um, components of, of government, though, that I don't think we talk enough about is um, the military and, um, and, 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 and separate from the government, NGOs that are responsible for getting resources into troubled parts of the world, um, uh, either at a moment's notice in the event of a disaster or otherwise. And by and large, those communities um, have also looked at crypto as a force for good. Because it sure beats um, having to ship a crate full of cash into a into a war zone or into a disaster area when you have the option uh, to simply rely upon a, a distributed ledger and assets that are secured by blockchains um, uh, in ways that um, eliminate the potential for 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 graft or theft or anything else. So it's a mixed bag across the government for sure. But you know, it's it's all the more reason why we have to you know look at these different parts um, individually. Uh, rather than paint with a broad brush. I'll spare you of complaining about my recent dramas with my bank on sending a $1,800 wire. <laughs> and it's been weeks and weeks of headaches. I put the guy's um, name instead of his LLC. Yeah. And it's been, and the counting number, routing, everything's right. And I'm like, how do you, and both of us have been going back and forth and his bank says, we don't see it. My bank says, I don't see it. You have to send a secure message through the Chase app. I'm like, what? Like, how do, how do people not get USDC? I'm it's so like, miserable. Is- I mean, forget about T plus T settlement, Frank. You're talking, you're going on now with T plus 21 is- or 22. Yeah, it's like insane. And nobody knows where the money is. And it's like, you know, whatever. If it goes wrong, it's fine. But no. it's just... Yeah, I mean, hopefully, and I think like I think that sort of situation, yeah, or that um, use case, is understood by both sides. I think it is, um, and frankly, you know, um, stories like that only only make me more convinced that you know this is going to happen. It's just it may not happen as quickly as we'd like. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. Um, anything else that you're sort of watching or, or interested in? Um, exciting you drop some alpha as it were yes happy to look we're all we're we're, we're, we're obviously paying um, particular attention to the regulatory issues that have that have flared up um, in the last several days and weeks but we haven't taken our eye frank off of the longer term um, solve here which we think is legislation and you know while uh, any legislation passing in this very divided climate is not something I would want to that on uh, on a given day, I think over the over the course of the next several months, we're going to see renewed energy and, and momentum around some of the basic legislation that um, has been proposed. Whether it's jurisdictional assignment, whether it's um, the stablecoin legislation, uh, whether it's some basic rules for how 
um, market structure ought to work. I, I think they're, I think the momentum will continue to build. And so we're not, we're not going to um, ignore that just because of, you know, short term or, or immediate concerns. Um, the other thing I will say that I think we should be, we should be paying careful attention to is to um, the, the reality that um, the work and the innovation continues and endures. I mean, if you actually look at investments in, uh, in different crypto projects, if you look at um, engineering activity and software development activity online, if you look at all the sort of objective metrics of are people continuing to build, the answer remains, yes, they are. And so uh, I think sometimes those of us who toil away in, in, in the world of litigation and regulation and policymaking sometimes um, ignore that, you know, as we do our jobs day in and day out, We've still got incredible engineers and software engine, uh, developers building amazing products in crypto. And that has me very optimistic for, for the future. Well, fantastic. Really appreciate you stopping by the show today. Appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you, Frank. You're on Twitter. I follow you. Uh, where can our guests go? And sometimes you drop some very fun threads about the state of the world uh, from a regulatory perspective? Well, uh, I'm available uh, and, and tweeting at I am Paul Graywall. Um, I talk a lot of crypto. Uh, I talk a, a little bit of law. And uh, as a diehard and lifelong Cleveland Browns fan, you may have to subject yourself I've to seen, him, yeah. tweets about uh, the orange and brown every now and then, but I hope you'll <laughs> Yeah, we'll forgive you for that. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning in. And I'm very sorry about my cold. I actually feel 90% better than I sound. Get some rest, Frank. You, you've earned it. Paul, thanks so much for being on the show. Huge fan, Frank. No, really appreciate all you do. That's my pleasure. And The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service.